It was a rough Tuesday night on the road for a couple of ACC frontrunners in Duke and Virginia. And did UConn's streak of winning every game this season by double digits end at the hands of lowly Georgetown? No. No, it did not. You are Locked On College Basketball, part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. What's up? Welcome into the Locked On College Basketball Podcast, the only daily national college hoop show out there. I'm your host, Isaac Shade, and I want to thank you for diving in with us, and I want to thank you, everyone out there. We have just hit 200 subscribers on YouTube, uh, a nice milestone that we've been working towards in the first month and a half of the show. Coming up on today's episode, is there something wrong with Kentucky host of Locked On Kentucky? Lance Dodd joins me to try to answer that. I've got a bone to pick with the AP poll process, and we'll do some quick hitters running around the country. But before we get to those things, we do have to look at these two ACC frontrunners who fell and UConn's game on Tuesday night as well. Let's start with the biggest game of the night, the only game between two ranked teams, number six, Virginia, at 22, Miami. Interestingly, for the the proud ACC, here's the interesting note to start on. This is per Brian on Twitter, a great stats man producer for ACC Network and ESPN. He said on Twitter, there was not a game between ranked ACC opponents last team, last season. Let that sink in, folks. The entirety of last season, no games between ranked teams in the ACC. What on earth? So Thursday's or Tuesday's game between number six, Virginia and 22 Miami was the first ranked ACC conference game since February 15th of 2021 when 16 Florida State defeated 7 Virginia. So thanks to Brian Ives for that great little nugget as always. But that's the thing is what is up with the ACC? Not at the height of its power right now. Well, uh, for Virginia, boy, they woke up on Saturday morning. Uh, Nice little Saturday morning at, at home, right? They're in Charlottesville. You wake up, get a cup of coffee, breakfast, whatever. They're the number two team in the nation. They're undefeated. Life's feeling good. But now, just a couple days later, they've lost back-to-back games, albeit against Houston, Houston, who's a clear front runner uh, for national championship consideration. And now at number 22, Miami, it's always tough to go down there and face Jim Laranega's team, especially with this nice, nice backcourt that he's got this season. The the thing that encouraged me most about Virginia in this game is that they were down 10 with 65 seconds left to go, a minute and five seconds left. And yet, despite that, yes, they lost the game, but they were down 10 with 65 seconds left and they had the ball with a chance to win in the final seconds of the game. That is impressive and mature stuff from Tony Bennett's team on the road, in a true road environment. I'm still a big believer in the Cavaliers, um, although several of their their wins lately have been close wins. I, I'm, I'm still in on them as a second weekend NCAA tournament team, but keep an eye out on the Cavs and how they respond to this. Thankfully, the schedule eases up a little bit pretty soon. For Miami, 
Isaiah Wong, we talk about that backcourt. Well, he is the mainstay of it. Had 24 points, six rebounds, and five assists in this game. Let me give you one more Twitter nugget. This one comes from Jared Burson, another great stats guy that I love to follow. Says that Isaiah Wong is the just the second major conference player in the last decade with at least 20 points, five assists, and five rebounds in four consecutive games. Really impressive there. He joins... Michigan State's Denzel Valentine. Remember him? Yeah, absolutely. Who did it in the 2015-16 season and route to winning the National Player of the Year for the AP. So not saying that Isaiah Wong is on that trajectory, but just to say he's in good company. And the biggest takeaway long-term from this game is the question, is it time for us to start taking Miami seriously as a top-tier contender in the ACC along with Virginia Duke, North Carolina, who's starting to get their act together a little more. I would say not just quite yet. I would still put them in that second tier, but with the um, weak low end of the ACC this season, there's no reason to think that they are the, um, they along with those other three teams are the clear front runners to land the coveted four double buy spots in the ACC tournament. Now, as for the other big-time ACC loss on Tuesday night, it's tough to go win on the road, and Duke found that out as well. The 14th-ranked Blue Devils go down to Wake Forest 81-70. Interestingly enough, I would not have guessed this. This is the first win over an AP-ranked team in the Steve Forbes era at Wake Forest. Pretty cool stuff. Congrats, Coach Forbes, on that. For Duke... Not only is it tough to win on the road, it's especially tough to win on the road when it's your first true road game of the season. And that's what kind of atmosphere the Blue Devils were going into for this one. But the biggest story for them is that Duke was without both Derek Lively and Derek Whitehead, who missed this game with that dreaded non-COVID illness. I love that we have to make that designation in this day and age. And while neither of these Um, high-impact freshmen in Lively or Whitehead have had the high impact this season that we expected them to. Their presence was clearly um, missed in this game. Their their presence would have impacted this game. Um, Wake Forest was able to get some some work inside, some alley-oops at the rim, and that's different if you got these guys playing this game. As for Wake Forest, Florida transfer Tyree Appleby is off to a great start. He's the story of this game. Led all scores with 18 points. But here's the kicker. 13 of them were at the free throw line. The dude finishes 13 of 14 from the stripe. Impressive stuff there. I don't expect Wake to be a big contender in the ACC, but clearly good enough to win at home against John Shire's club. And so we'll keep our eyes out on the Demon Deacons, who Steve Ford continues to get big-time guards in the transfer portal. We'll have to see. I'm not saying Tyree Appleby is going to be Alondis Williams as last year and win ACC Player of the Year, but he is a great backcourt player for him. So leaving the ACC, going to what I believe is the number one team in the nation. And as I teased off the top, UConn was playing lowly Georgetown on Tuesday night. And you expect kind of a yawner, but with 11 minutes to go in this game, Georgetown led by seven, 60 to 53. And 
at that point, people are starting to take notice on social media. I saw several things on Twitter about like, hey, it's time to start watching Georgetown basketball again. Kind of tongue firmly implanted in cheek from the people saying those things. But still, it's like, hey, the keep your eyes on this because you don't know what will happen. Well, listen, UConn has won their first prior to this. UConn won their first 12 games of the season undefeated and won every one of them by double digits. And that's why this is a big deal, because not only is UConn losing, but they're going to break their double digit uh, margin of victory streak. Well, let's just say that in the span of just over two minutes, UConn was already back in the lead. Um, And so uh, it was a quick 12-2 12-2 run from the Huskies to regain the lead at 75-72. And from that seven-point deficit that they had, they closed the game outscoring Georgetown 31-13. to And so by that point, it, it was just out of question. So it was one of those where it's like, are they going to do it? They did it. UConn just turned back into UConn. And the only thing in question down the stretch was not whether they would win, but if they would keep their double-digit margin of victory streak intact. And they did courtesy of two free throws in the final minute there. So now UConn is 13-0 and has won every one of those contests by double digits. Lots of guys continue to contribute to this team. Uh, One I want to point out from this game specifically is Joey Calcantara coming off the bench, 14 points, um, just playing under control, had a nice behind-the-back pass Um, to Klingon for his only basket of the game. I know he's been doing more as a backup to Adama Sanogo, but he didn't in this game, Um, but still um, is out there as a presence, giving Sanogo some rest. Um, And Calcaterra late in the game had one of the coolest buckets I've seen this entire season. It was basically an alley-oop that he caught one-handed and laid up before he came to the ground. So it was like an alley-oop tip layup kind of thing it was really sweet now if i remember correctly he also got fouled on the play really neat stuff there so yukon remains amongst the ranks of undefeated a couple others lost uh the the undefeated ranks continue to fall i'm going to fill you in on that more later in the show well seriously what's wrong with kentucky something is wrong with kentucky and locked on kentucky's lance Doss seems to be under the impression that the head man might be the one to blame so uh you know we're gonna look in on that but first this episode is brought to you by bet online who has you covered this season it's your number one source for sports betting info stats news and analysis you can get the latest odds and trends for every professional and amateur league out there from football to basketball soccer and esports they've got it all at bet on line make sure you check out all the lines for uh the games coming up you can uh see the line for tonight's jump man invitational game between michigan and north carolina it's always the fastest and easiest way to get your betting fixed so head to the website today or use your mobile device to learn more about all the trends in action bet online it's where the game starts it is always great to be joined on Locked On College Basketball by our guy Lance Daw, the host of Locked On Kentucky, the Wildcats. If you were with us on Monday's show, you heard me say that we got some Wildcats, Arizona, going in the right direction, while the Bluegrass State fan base is screaming because the Kentucky Wildcats are headed in the wrong direction. Listen, seven and three. We'll we'll look at what those losses are in just a second. But Lance, here's where we got to start. Coach Cal 
and his lifetime contract might be to blame for UK's start this season. You've suggested as much on your show this week. What do you have to say for yourself, sir? Yeah, I definitely think that somebody's to blame, and that's kind of been the topic so far this week is, okay, who do we blame? Do we blame the players? Do we blame the coaches? Do we blame Cal himself specifically? And I've kind of come to the conclusion that it's the head man that eventually it's, it's, that's the, those are the shoulders that everything falls upon at the end of the day, right? And you talk, mentioned that lifetime contract, Isaac, and there's just some interesting numbers out there just kind of circulating about, okay, what has Kentucky done since he got that contract? Yeah. Well, yeah. they're 67 and 33 overall. They're 8 really? and 15 against ranked teams, which is the thing that I'm really hung up on is that as a fan base, you know, obviously I think Kentucky fans can kind of puff themselves up. They can kind of get really prideful, really arrogant about we are one of the best college basketball programs in the nation And I think that there's a reality check sometimes whenever you come into these big games. It's like, well, you're not the best. You're not the most elite program out there. But there is also a standard, which has been set. And I just don't really – it's really, really hard to grasp 8 and 15. For me, that number right there, that record, is just really, really hard for me to kind of work my way around. It all comes back to, I think, what Calipari is doing – in two different areas, particularly on the offensive end, but also what he's doing as far as building this team's confidence. And I Mm. I definitely think that you've seen in the Michigan State and the Gonzaga games, you've seen this team with a lack of confidence, (laughs) especially when things get tight. I was there at that Michigan State game in Indianapolis, and it was just wild to sit there and watch a team that has so much talent just kind of seem directionless whenever they need to get a bucket the most. And so I think a lot of it does have to come back to how Cal operates the offense, how Cal changes the emotional state of this team. I definitely do believe that the players are to blame for the things like the free throws. You can't go in their most recent game, 5 of 13 from the line against UCLA. Cal's not out there shooting them himself, right? right. They've got to be able to actually go out there and execute. But part of it, I think, is genuinely is the state that he and this coaching staff have this, this team in. And also, on top of that, they're not, I don't think, putting these these kids in position to succeed, particularly in the half court. Well, part of it, like, I, I wonder, like, a lot of times I feel like most years we'll hear Coach Cal say, hey, my, my boys, my guys are, are young. They're taking a while to, to gel and, and come together as a unit. I feel like that that's less of a thing he can say this year because you've got Sabir yep. Wheeler coming back. You've got the National Player of the Year in Oscar Shibway coming back. you got Jacob Toppin back, amongst others. And so you, you can't really place the blame on youth and inexperience this year. And so for those who haven't really you know, heard some of Coach Cal's press conferences or other things, where where is he laying the blame right now? Well, right now, I definitely think it is just a, a, a statement of kind of reevaluating, right? I think that is definitely, it's definitely, it's, it's a self-reflection on what he and his staff want to do. And we, we heard similar comments in the offseason about how this is something that we need to work on. This is something that we need to improve on. We're not where we want to be at. That's a phrase that you hear every coach in America say. Sure, but sure. what he was saying back in the offseason is that we were going to approach as a coaching staff the game uh, with a little bit more of a modern approach. We were going to bring a modern offense to the table. We have not seen that. Hmm. And so we are continuing to hear refrains of, 
we need to get better in this area. We need to get better in that area. We need to do this. We need to do that. But we're not seeing them actually go out there and improve upon it. So it's it's laying the blame on the team as a whole, which I definitely think is a healthy approach. It, it, but I think that if you're going to talk the talk, Isaac, you need to be able to actually go out there and walk the walk. And that's just not something that we've seen out of the Wildcats or John Calipari and his coaching style so far. Yeah, and and it makes me wonder too. Like we we talk about this seven and three start, and for a lot of programs, yeah, that that's wonderful. Especially when you look at the losses being that Michigan State game. That's a double OT game. The the loss at Gonzaga, um, and then the, as you said this week, this past weekend at Madison Square Garden to UCLA. Um, and so when I look at those losses, it's like okay, those are all understandable losses. But as you've already said. Uh, for an elite blue blood program, it's like, that's not us. We, we aren't okay with that. Is this start made worse because it's compacted on top of losing to St. Peter's in the NCAA tournament last year? I definitely think that that is something that has kind of heightened the, uh, the sense of urgency here. And I think that was compounded on top of the 9-16 and 16 record from the year prior, right? right? So this has been building up for several, several years now. But I think individually looking at this seven and three start, Isaac, it's the first time that the Wildcats have started seven or three or worse in their first 10 games since that 2020 season. And the wow. time before that was 2013 when they went 21 <laughs> and 12. That's it, So we've definitely seen a stretch of success historically, right, under Coach Cal. And now over these past couple of years, we're starting to see bumps in the road two years ago and this year. So I definitely think that mm-hmm. that is it. it, it individually is its own problem but you are absolutely right looking at the past season with the loss to St. Peter's and looking at the past two seasons with that 9 and 16 mark in 2020 definitely uh definitely something where you have to kind of look at it collectively and say okay the train is starting to pick up steam here that's right and that that's such a good word we can't just look at i mean in some ways now with the transfer portal we almost have to take it season by season but still for the fan base there's this growing building frustration and when you zoom out and look at that broader context it makes a ton of sense to me and uh, people in lexington are non too pleased thankfully though there are there's a couple game stretch coming up here where you feel like you do have an opportunity to to catch your breath a little bit maybe get some things right coming up tonight on wednesday FAMU, Florida A&M, 357th in the nation per Ken Palm out of, if you don't know, folks, just three, not just, out of 363 teams. So there ain't many teams worse in this country. And then a couple after that, you've got Mizzou. And then the bread on the other side of that is Louisville. And, and obviously that's a rivalry game where it's like, eh, even though Louisville is literally awful, 245th at Ken Palm, you just... It's a rivalry game, literally, even even what they're doing, you throw out the record book. So you've got these two more non-con games, and then Mizzou sandwiched in the middle. What has to happen in that three-game stretch to get right before it's SEC, baby, the rest of the way? Well, I think a lot of it has to do with toughness, Isaac. It's actually something that Cal said in his press conference after that loss to UCLA. He said, (laughs) I think that we were not tough enough. I think we need to focus on toughness and I don't think it's just physical remember me talking about confidence these kids having the ability to actually want the ball in their hand late in these games it doesn't really look like Kentucky has a guard out there right now that feels comfortable with the ball in his hands whenever he needs to go and get himself a bucket I think it's not just toughness from a physicality standpoint look Kentucky's defense is defense is fifth in the nation on Kim Pom. 
they've mm. done a really good job on the defensive end. And some of their younger players, Case and Wallace, you're going to Enzo, have been the embodiment of that. That's right. But having that mental toughness to be able to work your way through what I expect to be a gauntlet of an SEC slate, start building that up now that you have this little bit of a reprieve. Although I will say this, Isaac, this is something I've been talking about for, I, I think, honestly, two weeks. This Missouri game. I am terrified of this game in Como. I have no idea why, but the but the Tigers have come out firing on all cylinders on offense so far this year. Now they got blown out by Kansas just a couple of games ago, but still, for the way that Kentucky's playing right now, if they don't pick it up against FAMU and Louisville, I mean, they are going to stumble into what should be a Tigers den of SEC games. It's going to be ugly. So I think, again, the most important thing is toughness, not just from a physicality standpoint, but from a mental standpoint, finding ways to kind of be resilient whenever things don't go your way, and then kind of, you know, recalibrating whenever those moments are, you know, maybe chaotic. I think something that we saw a lot with last year's team as they started to falter down the stretch was rushing things on the offensive end. And I think you saw that a lot against UCLA, especially late. So it's just kind of slowing things down, kind of regrouping, recalibrating, and getting yourself set up for the next play. All right, Wildcats got to get stuff right right now because there is going to be unrelenting pressure in the SEC slate. Very rarely will there be opportunities to catch a breather. But you know what I'm looking for, Lance, is a shirt that just says what you've been saying, physicality across the front, and just that cow emphasized all capital letters just so they know who the man in charge is. I want to see it. Maybe you can make that happen. Lance Daw, always great to have you on. Thanks for joining us here on Locked On College Basketball. Folks, make sure you check out Locked On Kentucky. We are down to just three undefeated teams in the nation. I'll tell you who they are, plus the AP voting system. It needs some help. I'm coming to the rescue and a little bit of a run around the nation. Coming up, some quick hitters. All right, we are down to three unbeaten teams. Why? Well, we were at five coming into the new week. Unfortunately, Utah State, uh, the the least likely of this group, fell to Weber State. What up, Harold Arsenault, on Monday. Uh, And then on Tuesday, Mississippi State, another of the unexpected teams to be undefeated this late into the season, fell to Drake. On Nebraska's home court. Go figure that one out. No, it was a little event going on there. Um, but 58-51 is your final Mississippi State falling the Drake. So that means all that's left in the ranks of the unbeatens are UConn and Purdue and the New Mexico Lobos. So we'll keep our eyes on those three teams to see if any of them can make it into the new year, who it is, and how long they last. Always fun to keep tabs on the unbeaten teams. Let's take a quick run around the nation. Uh, Gonzaga beat Montana 85-75 on Tuesday. That in itself is not impressive. I point it out because I want to make note of Drew Timmy's performance of late. In this game, 32 points, 11 rebounds, 5 assists, 2 steals, 2 blocks in 37 minutes of action, and on a very very efficient 12 of 16 shooting. Uh, the only thing my man's got to work on is the free throws. They're just not there. Eight of 13 in this game and his turnovers too. Drew Timmy, four turnovers. You got to do better than that. But here's why I want to bring it up. Per Optus stats on Twitter, over his last five games, Drew Timmy is averaging, you ready for this? 27.6 points, 
10.2 rebounds, four assists, and 66.7% field goal. That means he is, per, again, Optistats, the only D1 player in the last 25 years to average at least 25 points, 10 rebounds, and four assists on 60% shooting over any five-game span. What on earth Drew Timmy is doing it? And I say that to say, let's let's not be so quick to go ahead and crown Zach Eady as the national player of the year. He is having an insane and ridiculous year at Purdue. But um, let's not let's not suffer from Gonzaga wearisomeness or Drew Timmy wearisomeness. The dude is incredible for a reason. Make sure you're keeping your eyes on it. Next, uh, another um, ranked team that fell on Tuesday. Providence knocked off number 24 Marquette in double overtime, 103 to 98. The Friars, last year's Big East champs, I might remind you, are now 10 and 3 overall and 2 and 0 in the Big East. I'm not saying the Friars are doing it again, but with Creighton falling off, with Providence knocking off. Marquette, no, I just don't see a world in which anyone catches UConn, but Providence is going to be right there. Villanova starting to find themselves a little bit now with Cam Whitmore working back in, and so keep tabs on that. But uh, the craziest stat from this game is Bryce Hopkins had 29 points and 23 rebounds. I love a good 20-20 game. Almost, almost 30-20 for Providence there would have been really cool. Um, two, uh, or excuse me, one other quick hitter is that Oklahoma beats Florida 62-53. to Florida's just 7-5 and five now in their first year under Todd Golden. Oklahoma's out to 9-3. and three. Porter Moser trying to figure it out a little bit here in year two leading the Sooners. And I kind of the main reason I point this out is because this is the part of the inaugural Jumpman Invitational in Charlotte playing in the Hornets home arena. It's Oklahoma, Florida, North Carolina, and Michigan. And so the guys from um, Oklahoma and Florida played on Tuesday night, as did the women from Michigan and North Carolina. And then they're flip-flopping tonight, Wednesday night, Michigan and North Carolina in a men's game, and then Oklahoma, Florida in a women's game. It's weird and odd scheduling. I'm sure there's some reason for it. I just haven't heard what that reason is. But anyway, um, anytime there's anything Jordan brand uh, related that crops up, it's, it's of note and a big deal. So just wanted to point it out. And the final thing I want to talk about today is this. I I had a completely different direction I wanted to go with what I'm about to tell you. And now I'm not going that direction at all. Where I was going to go is this. I was rooting around a little bit in the AP poll from this week, and I realized that there was an AP poll voter. I'm going to leave this person nameless who had been ranking Virginia Um, pretty high all season. In fact, number two in their poll last week and left out Virginia this week, unranked in this voters poll. And I was incensed to the point where I texted my co-host, Andy Patton. I was like, I've got a great idea uh, for a bit we can do on the show where we just maybe each week give some crap to, to poll voters who mess up or don't do a good job. And in his wisdom, you know, spoiling my fun, but it's for good reason, wrote back and just basically reminded me of the humanity of this whole thing, that that there are people out here who's just voting and doing the best they can. Some of them in this specific instance, it, the person was coming off of 
working a very long shift. Um, keep in mind, it's like local um, news people or sports anchor people voting on it. It's not like the national people that cover um, college basketball. And so in this instance, a very honest mistake. And I, I'm even more chastened because this voter followed it up, was like called out on Twitter and followed it up by apologizing and, and owning it. And that earned this poll voter uh, a lot of respect amongst um, people uh, specifically in the Virginia fan base. And I thought that was a really cool moment. And so from, from what Andy chastened me on and from seeing this, I'm switching from this silly person. What are they doing to what's going on with this AP system where something like that is allowed to happen. I feel like we have to take a very long and serious look at, yeah, I, I get it. You had a long night. And, and you messed up your ballot. But is the AP just blindly accepting these things and nobody is going through editing saying, hey, I noticed that you've been voting for Virginia highly in your poll rankings all season long and, and you left them out in this one. I know they lost at home to Houston this weekend, but from two to unranked, really? Is that what you're doing? And then this person would have said, oh, silly me. I messed up. I, I should have gotten that right. But that ain't what happened. So to me, now I'm less upset about somebody messing up their poll because I get it. I'm a human. I'm an idiot. I stay up late and make mistakes all the time. Uh, it is kind of funny that it happened, but I, I don't want to give this person a hard time. What I do want to do is say, hey, AP, let's take a look at how we're tabulating ballots and, and how we're double checking to make sure that everything is what the voter intended it to be. I think that's got to be doable, right? Yes, absolutely. It's got to be doable and we should be finding a way to do it because you know that everyone is basing so much on these rankings, even though really it only matters for people like me and Andy and others who talk about college basketball and for TV ratings and things like that. That's the only thing that these rankings are good for. But because people put so much stock into it, I feel like the AP needs to do a better job of accurately making sure everything's tabulated week in and week out. Because I'm here to tell you, this is not the first time this happened. It's not the last time something like this is going to happen. If you want to have the humanity in it, great. I see that. But let's get more out in the open and be real and honest with that. So that when things like this happen, we say, oh, I get it. Well, let's go back and fix it. And we will make it right. I now step off my soapbox and I will return you to your regularly scheduled Locked On College Basketball viewing, which unfortunately has come to an end for today. Thanks so much for diving in with us. Coming up tomorrow's show, Leaf Tulane, as always, joining me on a Thursday to talk about some more great college basketball content. For your next listen of the day, I'd like to encourage you to check out the Locked On Sports Today podcast. Biggest stories of the day, plus instant reactions, big game recaps, and of course, the take of the day. It's available on Odyssey, on YouTube, and anywhere else you get podcasts. Would be honored if you would subscribe to the show. Join those 200 other people who have already done so. Like uh, on the show, that helps get it going, and comment as well. Folks, it's been great. Really appreciate you diving in. Always fun. And uh, on behalf of Lance Daw, I'm Isaac Shade. Can't wait to have Andy Patton back with you on Friday's show as well. But until then, peace. Peace.